Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. It's me, Dave Wakeman. Let me know how you're doing. Um, the situation for the live event industry, the live entertainment industry, is still iffy at best, I'd say. Um, reports, ratings are down for live entertainment. There's more competition for viewers' eyeballs than ever before. Um, there have been instances where people have been able to be in the stands, Um in a lot of cases, though, the tickets have not sold out, so it's an interesting time. Uh, you know, tell me what you're thinking. Send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com. Um, it's interesting to keep an eye on how things continue to develop. I feel it's going to be one of these up and down situations. Um, one of the things I've been watching is how Germany is handling this because the Bundesliga, I think they kept it at a thousand fans over the weekend, but they had fans in in their stadiums or in depending on the state. So it was a state by state situation, but it was interesting to see fans at soccer matches, especially in Europe where the, and Germany where the culture around the game is a really, really intense, probably mimics a lot of what we see with college football, which uh, Alabama in theory is going to kick off on Saturday. But we see that the Notre Dame and Wake Forest game may be canceled this weekend or postponed. Uh, I'm not sure which way they're going to term it. Um, still a lot of crazy, crazy stuff going on. So again, as I say all the time on these intros, let me know what's going on with you. You are generous enough to share your ears and your attention with me. So let me know how everybody's holding up. It's daviddavewakeman.com. Um, this is a special episode because uh, Zachary Yakum from GetAJobInSports.com or HowToGetAJobInSports.com interviewed me for his podcast. He's a little kid that lives around the corner from me. Um, so I had a chance to talk with him for his blog, his podcast, and I said, oh, send it over and I'll, I'll share the conversation with you. Uh, Zach's a nice, super nice kid. Uh, his idea is he loves sports and he wants to get a job in sports when he gets older. He's still in high school. Um, how can I say no to a high school kid from D.C. who's looking to get a job in sports? I couldn't. Um, we had a good conversation, though. He asked me about my career. He asked me about networking. He asked me about all kinds of really interesting things. Um, and he's a really, really great kid. So I wanted to post this conversation to the podcast stream. I also have two podcasts in the that I'm prepping right now. One's going to be with Ireland's most famous uh, marketer, Colin Lewis, and it's great. And the other one is with Aaron Canopy. He says, hit all the vowels. Um, and those are going to go up over the next couple days as well. So I got a little jammed up. My um, homeschooling situation has been hardcore lately. Um, you know, I'm going back to fifth grade all over again. So that, that's been ke- keeping me a little bit preoccupied. Um, but make sure you check out some of my partners. Uh, BookingProtect.com. Booking protects the global leaders in refund protection. Um, some great stuff on the blog. Uh, make sure you reach out to Kat, Simon, Kath. All the people over there, check out the Booking Protect Instagram feed. Um, Kieran's doing a great job of posting pictures, quotes, things from around the world of entertainment to keep our minds on the prize and keep us focused on positive things right now. So check them out, bookingprotect.com forward slash home. You can get our ebook that we put together, What Matters in Tickets Now. It came out at the beginning of the year, but some of the ideas are still ext- uh, extremely relevant. Um, there's a great article by Kat Spencer up about rebuilding relationships now. It's very important. And if you have been thinking about ways to either generate new revenue or make sure you keep your, um, give your customers peace of mind, 
refund protection is probably a good idea to think about right now. So reach out to somebody from the Booking Protect team. Check them out. Make sure you also check out the We Will Recover website. WeWillRecover.live. It is a project put together by Anar and Martin from Activity Stream and the team over there at Activity Stream brought together people from around the world to bring ideas, perspectives, worksheets, classes, all kinds of stuff about recovery. So it's a great resource. It's great people. Um, there's a whole series of things about what we've learned and how to not waste a crisis. Um, friend of the podcast, Aubrey Bergauer, uh, did an interview earlier this week that just got posted. So I'm um, talking about don't waste this crisis. Uh, make sure that you create some kind of lasting change and improve your business for the better now. So check it out. We will recover.live. And then finally, we are, it's a Wednesday, September 23rd. So we are 41 days away from an election in the United States that um, has seemed to be going on forever. Um, but make sure that you um, are registered. Yesterday was National Voter Registration Day. Uh, make sure your voter registration is handy. Make sure you know the specific rules for voting in your jurisdiction and make sure you vote. The United States has some of the lowest voter turnout of any industrialized nation and the I voted concert initiative is working to make sure that that is not the case this year. So go to ivotedconcerts.com or visit them on Twitter. Uh, find out how you can get involved, find out how to make sure you get your vote in and counted um, and take part in the, the American democracy. If you're an American, if you're not encourage your American friends to vote. Okay. Uh, check it out. Ivotedconcerts.com. But without any further ado from me, any more blabbing and all of that, here's my conversation with Zach Yakum on The Business of Fun. Well, actually, it's on howtogetajobinsports.com, but on The Business of Fun. This is Zach Yakub from howtogetajobinsports.com, and I'm here with Dave Wakeman, principal at the Wakeman Consulting Group. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Nice to talk to you, man. So tell me more about the Wakeman Consulting Group. Well, so uh, I, I'll give you the short answer, which is like I became a consultant because at, um, after I'd done a couple of big projects and sold the last company I started, I, I felt like I was completely unemployable in a normal way. So I figured I'd better start my own business. Um, but a lot of stuff what I do is focused on strategy and revenue. And a lot of that work takes me into the world of sports and entertainment um, around the world. So I've worked with people recently before before the pandemic came down, I got a ch chance to go to Australia to talk to the Australian Football League and talk to them about their marketing. Um, I've worked with people in the, the English Premier League and soccer, um, those major sports in the States, all kinds of things. But the core of it is helping people understand that if they don't differentiate themselves in a world that's filled with algorithms and noise, that it's a very tough thing to get people to give you their attention and their business. So, that, you know, so really at, at heart, I'd say I'm a, a very, uh, uh, how would I put it? Uh, loudmouth marketing consultant. <laughs> All right. Well, well, now I need the long story. Tell me more specifically about what you do. Oh, well, so, well, it's really just a long way of how I got here, um, which I think was like one of the questions was like, you wanted, you were kind of curious about the path that people take to get to where they are now. Mm. And so I started out actually back in the nineties, start opening nightclubs uh, with a company called, um, 
creative concepts, but the, the, the concept we ran was called Boogie Nights. And so we opened up nightclubs, discos all over the country in these markets that were suburbs that were underserved. So we brought urban entertainment to suburban markets. So Chicago, St. Louis, Houston, uh, Fort Lauderdale, we opened these nightclubs. And so in 1999, I moved to Seattle, Washington, because um, the short answer, the short story is here is that in St. Louis, the nightclub was a flop after we had been successful, all these other places. And I was um, kind of like, I don't know what to do with myself. So I saw this thing about the Jimi Hendrix Museum, which is the experience, was the Experience Music Project. Now it's called Mopop in Seattle. And I said, you know what? I don't know anybody in Seattle. I'm going to move to Seattle. Um, and I'm going to help open this museum. And so eventually, I'm helping open the Experience Music Project. And it was due to my background in nightclubs. But before that, I had to figure out stuff to do for, with myself. So I ended up getting some of some of the worst the lowest grade, um, awful sports jobs ever to, to get me through. So it was like game day staff. I worked for the Seahawks and for the Supersonics. And I mean, we're talking about like um, below running and getting me coffee. It was like awful, but it was, it, it opened up the world of sports to me. Uh, and then I worked with the Seattle theater group. So STG, which is the Paramount and the Moore theaters uh, in downtown Seattle. And it was because the guy said I had a friendly face, which, you know, I'll, I'll leave that up to you whether or not that's true or not, <laughs> since we're looking at each other. Um, and from, from there, though, um, after that, I, Paul, you know, the museum was opened by Paul Allen, who helps found Microsoft with his sister, Jody. And I ended up, Jody said, I don't know what you do, but you're very good at selling yourself to, to people. And we want you to do that for the museum. So I ended up um, having a chance to work with her and some of the other people in, in uh, revenue generating roles and it, at the age of like 24 or so it taught me about marketing and selling and from there after a few years I moved to New York I did not know exactly what I was going to do but I ended up getting um, a job with a guy called Jonathan at Americana Tickets in New York it was the oldest ticketing company in New York City it's still going um, thankfully um, and that opened me up to being able to work with Broadway with Madison Square Garden um, but the big one was American Express. So I helped uh, the American Express Centurion card, which is the black card, be able to deliver tickets to events all over the world for their people. Um, and from there, I helped Yellowtail create this concept to take their wines to 36 cities around the, around the country at tailgate parties to get them into a new market, which helped get them in this, to Costco, which helped make Yellowtail what it is today, which is, you don't know, you're too young. It's not very good line though but and so then from there i started my own business and that's now how i became me because at, at that point it was like there was no job that said can you do this can you do that and so i had to create my my own thing all right so with America, that was long that was the longest i've ever ever uh, ever talked about myself you're good <laughs> it was completely uncomfortable <laughs> that was a great rundown so i just have a few questions about that so it's sure and you talked about working you know with american express so mm -hmm. you weren't directly selling tickets. You were just advancing the way that they sell tickets. Tell me more about that. So how it worked was American Express has a concierge program. And you, if you, they have an 800 number, if you have a, a platinum card or any of the above ones. But the black card is like, it was super special. And because you had to spend at the time, I believe, like it was a million dollars a year or more on your credit card. 
Um, and it was, it's, it, I think it's still invitation only, but they were trying to work because there were some competitors to differentiate the, the uh, card from other competitors. And the challenge was being able to get people tickets because travel and entertainment were the two things that were like the most important to American Express card members. Um, so they had always struggled to be able to offer tickets in a way that they could get them anything. I happened to be able to help them solve that problem. And it was, it, it seems, you know, don't undersell yourself as you get older, you know, like be proud of all the, like this thing you're doing here, be proud of it. Right. Because I didn't know how unique this was, but it was a combination of being in the right place at the right time with technology because the technology had advanced to the point where it made it easier for me to connect with people and understand um, who I needed to get in contact with or how I needed to deal with people to get tickets for things. And then my ability to build relationships with people. Um, it was very helpful. And so it was like the combination of technology and my relationship building, which helped solve that problem ultimately for the Centurion card pro, uh, concierge program. And so I would end up being like they, um, their source for tickets, but I would not necessarily sell them directly. To, I would, or I would sell them directly to Amex, but I was sort of just, um, they would already have the, what they needed in place and they would just call me for it. And it was like a huge trust-based thing. It was great. Um, you know, there was a lot of responsibility in honoring that trust. So, but yeah, I, I was like barely, very rarely talked to an end customer for a long time, but I would, you know, we would sell a ton, a ton of tickets and it was like a really, um, it was successful for them. It was successful for me. It was, and it was really great. And I still talk to a lot of those people today. So, I, so hopefully that means that, that I didn't, wasn't too bad at my job. <laughs> so you talked about building relationships, building mm -hmm. connections. Tell me more right. about networking. So networking, um, you know, it's, it's super important. Um, I think that you should always be kind of reaching out and trying to either help people or add value to people. The um, problem for networking and where networking gets a bad rap is that there's far too many people who think about networking as what can people do for me? And I try to think of networking as like, what can I do for you or what we can do together? And I found that to be very, very, um, it changes the dynamic in the networking, uh, in the way you network. Because if I'm gonna do you a favor or if I have some information that I can share with you, or if I have somebody I want to introduce you to, or, you know, if there's something, anything I can do that's of value to you, it makes, it changes that the way that the person's going to view you, right? It's, you know, if you do enough favors for people, people always, you're, everywhere you go, there people are going to be like, Hey, I had nothing but a good time with Dave. Dave's a great guy. Right. So, and, and I sort of just, that's the way I view it. It's like wherever I can help somebody or do somebody a favor or just be valuable or, or, helpful to somebody I try to do that and that's how I think of networking is like just helping people you know it can be a very tough and lonely world and so if there's some way that I can help somebody achieve a little bit of success or be a little more successful or just even make somebody feel good about themselves I try to do that and you know it, it took me a long time to get there because sometimes I used I used to be a lot grumpier um, now I'm a lot less grumpy <laughs> the longer the pandemic goes the less grumpy I get <laughs> Because it's tough out there. People need a little bit of um, a little more levity. Yeah. So, <laughs> so is that a, was that an okay answer? Did I yeah, duck? That was in? great. Yeah. Okay. So great. Earn their respect. You know, build trust and you know, yeah. provide value is what you would say. Yeah, exactly so, right. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I try to like, like the thing with like, you're doing this podcast video th- series. Right. And I try to do the same thing with like, with a podcast that I started was to give people like a little bit more of my voice so that you could see that like, I mean, I take what I do seriously, but I don't take myself seriously. So then the thing is, is like, I, you know, I didn't want to have a wall where people thought I was just like, um, grumpy all the time, which I am grumpy a lot, but that's <laughs> for a different reason. <laughs> yeah. And I think people can tell it's, not grumpy because the the podcast is called the business of fun right yeah exactly right that's right yeah and it's all about people who are um you know for people who are marketing and selling and involved in the business of live entertainment because it was kind of um the title came from a joke that we had um in the nightclubs and it was like oh this is like totally the business of fun right and um you know we're we're throwing the party you know we are the key to the party and I, it sort of translated through all the things I've done. So then when I was trying to name the thing, I was like, going, the, even for me, who is a, um, incredibly um, adept at self-promotion, uh, naming the podcast after myself seemed like a little bit of a reach. So I was like, I got to come up with something besides Dave's podcast. <laughs> yeah, you already got the consultant. That was what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I mean, come on. How, I mean, my ego is like, it's totally healthy and all, but I was like, at a certain point, it all comes a little bit absurd. <laughs> yeah, just call it Dave. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Like, so when you Google Dave, it's just me. It's just this big head sitting at your screen. That would be scary for everybody, I'm pretty sure. So you're talking about live entertainment. They've certainly, you know, had to navigate through this pandemic uh, in a unique way. Tell me about, you know, what you've had to do. Well, it's been tough. It's, um, I mean, I'm fortunate, like, right, you know, my wife and family and me and my family, we're, we're totally fine, right? Um, there's a lot of people, though, that I've worked with um, and know all over the world that are struggling because this is, um, you know, something that people don't have a playbook for. Mm-hmm. And it is something that um, it, it challenges all of the processes and all of the assumptions we've made about, you know, our businesses, our personal lives, um, probably our relationships, you know, it just challenges so many of the things I think that most, many of us hold true. And so um, in my role, I've been, you know, again, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate, like over the years, you know, we've done pretty well, you know, there's nothing, nothing's falling off, the wheels aren't falling off the Dave Wakeman bus today, you know, today. Um, it's been, to, for me, it's to be, be like a resource for people, right? Because I know that nobody has the answer for this thing, right? Um, because we've never, in our lifetimes, none of us have dealt with this. And this is a, a unique combination combination of events all coming together at once. You know, so for me, I've tried to be a resource for people. Uh, I say, hey, look, you know, I tell everybody, call me if you, you know, you just want to talk, right? Because one of the things I think that's misunderstood or not appreciated nearly enough is, you know, the psychological and the mental challenge that people are dealing with, right? I mean, you're what, 15? Uh, 16, yeah. 16, right? I mean, it's tough, right? You, you can't see your friends like you would in a normal time, right? My son's 10. He can't go see his friends and like play soccer and do all the things. You know, I'm 45. It's tough, right? It's, you know, because you're like, you, you know, you can't just go like hop down to the corner or like, you know, go to the gym or anything. It's so it's tough. So there's that mental aspect. So, you know, I'm like, Hey, look, if you need somebody to talk to, come to me, right? I'm here. I, you know, I don't need anything. We just talk because we, you know, you need somebody to talk to. I've also created some uh, classes and some, you know, the, do the podcast and do all these things to help people learn and they, like bring people's, you know, lessons learned from around the world from people who are in, you know, like my friend Greg Turner in China, um, you know, 
Angela Higgins and Joe Michelle, who are my friends in Australia, along with Ali Scheuer from the AFL, all these people, you know, collect some of the ideas and some of the things they're learning or some of the things they're dealing with um, and bring them here closer to Europe or the U.S. where we're a little bit, you know, um, further behind their timeline, you know, so helping do that. And, and, you know, that's so just keep controlling the things I can control and adding value where I can add value to help people, you know, stabilize themselves both you know professionally and personally and then help figure out ways so people can move forward yeah your podcast certainly you know can take the edge off a lot of people and with the experience you have they could learn learn a thing or two <laughs> well i mean i think for to that point i think we can all learn from each other right i mean um you know you know you started your project because you were just interested in like how do people get involved in sports and i think that um learning the process that you went through is something people can learn from because sometimes what happens is when we get a, a few years down the road, like me or a lot of, you know, people even further down the road than me is we forget what it's like to be in your, your shoes, or we forget what it's like to be in the shoes of a fan, or we forget what it's like to um, not know what we know now. And sometimes that's great. And then other times that's a really bad thing because we can make assumptions built or decisions built off of things we know. And the, and the context of the decision we're making may not be accurate anymore. You know, so it's not just learning from me. If, if I'm successful in me, being me, it's because I maintain a curiosity and I maintain the ability to always be curious about people and to always, um, you know, look for what's next and like look for what's new and look for what's changing and what's the same and like kind of always really kind of reinvent myself, you know, and that's, so if anybody learns anything from, from any, from me, I hope it's that, that like you, you, you don't just get to one spot and it's fixed. It's a constant changing and reinventing of who you are. So you got to have a growth mindset in this industry. I would say, I would say so. Um, you, you know, it seems to benefit me. It's a, I know it's sometimes a challenge because sometimes it becomes very difficult to create change mm-hmm. and it becomes, there's business models and there's ways of doing things that, fall in the trap of this is the way we've always done things. And it's not like people start out with that, like saying, I'm just going to stick to the status quo. It's just that like the incentives become so rigid and so overwhelming that it becomes, even if something's not working as well as it could, it's very difficult to change that. And so I think wherever we can, all of us owe each other a um, responsibility to continue to push, to grow and to change and to um, develop new ideas and new skills and new ways of um, doing our jobs and marketing and selling what we're doing because the world around us is constantly changing. So we have to be knowledgeable about what the world looks like through the eyes of the people we're trying to serve because if not, then we get left behind. Absolutely. Adapt and grow. So going back to, you know, your experience, you talked about starting a company. Tell me Mm -hmm. about that process. Well, so I'm probably not the best person to talk to about this thing because it wasn't like I had like a master plan or a master business plan. Uh, so when I started this consulting thing 13 years ago now, I guess it is, um, it started out I, on a Thursday afternoon, I think I, um, in November of 2007. So 2007, if you're 16, you were born in 2004. You wouldn't even remember this. This is too, this is too, uh, too, uh, too long ago for you. Um, it was, it was like probably right before the financial crisis happened. 
in, in 2008. So the timing could not have been better for me um, to get out from under, the, you know, to get out of business and like go do something else. And I didn't know exactly what to do. And so I just ended up having a friend call me and go, hey, look, we're doing this thing with Adwala, which Coca-Cola owned Adwala at the time. And it was a um, health food product. And so can you help us with like some experiential marketing thing? You did also just stuff with Yellowtail. I was like, sure, great. So then I started out working on that. And then somebody else called me about a different thing. I think it was um, something to do with helping promote um, the Affordable Care Act for President Obama. And um, so then I did some of this stuff. And then all of a sudden I would start writing ads for people and I would start doing um, some trainings and I did some stuff around project management and leadership. And um, I had no plan. I just, <laughs> so that's a long way of getting to, I had no plan. Uh, I just started out um, looking for things that were interesting and looking for things that people would let me do to help them out. Over time, I realized, well, that may, that's fun, but let me um, think about what I can really do that's valuable to people. And that would be really helpful to people. And that's where I got to strategy and, you know, marketing and revenue, because I found that most of the time it's the root cause. It's like getting the things right from the very start that can make or break a program, a business, um, you know, any initiative. And I'm a bad example of that because I've been able to do this, but I had to reset and like, and think this through and, you know, using my own experience and understanding like, Hey, look, you can go all over, you can shoot and spray, spray and pray all over the place. But realizing that's not necessarily the best idea helped me come back and like kind of narrow things in and think through how you can add value to folks. And that, you know, for me, that's through helping people understand that this process of strategy really revolves around, you know, what's the value you want to create? Who's the customer you're trying to reach and then how you're going to reach them. And, you know, kind of always having that ongoing conversation with yourself. All right. So you would agree it's not about how successful you can be. It's how much value you can bring to other people. So I would say that the value you can create, usually if you, if you focus on how much value you can create for people, oftentimes you will be, um, you can be successful because you, but you have to make sure that the value you're creating uh, has a benefit to the market that you're trying to serve, right? Because there's tons of stuff that I like to do, but I can't figure out a way to get people to pay me money for it. Um, but you know, so like there's, and I would tell people do have hobbies, do spend time on hobbies, do take a break. Um, but always think about like the question I'll sit with when I'm kind of like, well, what do I want to do right now? Or what should I be doing right now? Is like, well, what can I do? You know, where can I add value? Or if there's something I see, I go, well, how can I add value around this? And this goes back to like how we're dealing with the pandemic. You know, my thing is like, I understand because I've had to reinvent myself several times. And it's kind of like I told you earlier, it's a process of constant reinvention. So helping people understand what reinvention and rethinking your, your business looks like has been something that's been valuable for folks now, right? And that's something I can do very easily for people because it's something that I've done before. So, you know, it's kind of always being conscious of how you create value for folks and then making sure it, it fits into the, you know, the people you're trying to reach. Yeah. And so, you can make money off of that. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go for value first and success. Yeah, exactly right. Don't try to back into the va value afterwards because I think that's where people become commodities because you're like going, well, I've got the solution, but what makes the solution valuable? 
is the difference, right? Because um, think about it like this. If you're thirsty, you know, a water or a Coke or anything will look, you know, might look totally fine. You know, so what's the value? Oh, it's like, thir- you know, thirst quenching, right? You know, think about all the ways that you impact people because maybe if somebody's coming from, like, think about Gatorade, right? If you come from, you're thirsty, water or Gatorade works, but, you know, electrolytes and like replenishes your body and all these things, it makes a more compelling story. And that's what really value comes down to is you're telling a story about how working with you or your business, you know, it's going to improve the person you're serving's business and life. It's going to make things easier and better for them. And that's really what I mean. That's when I'm talking about value, that's what I mean. So are you a one-man show? I have people that work with me, but most of the time it's just me. Um, I will bring people in for, uh, with specialties on project to project. All right. So do you ever interview people to see if they should work with you? Or is it, is it, is, do you ever do that? Do you ever interview people? I don't typically interview people, uh, but usually what it is is I will find people and I will build a relationship with them the same way we were talking about networking earlier um, to make sure that like their, their ideas align with mine, um, their point of view aligns with mine, their ability to um, deliver on the promises I make <laughs> aligned with mine. So I guess in a way I do interview people, but it's not like a formalized interview thing. I, I guess, which is what I'm saying is I don't have the answer to tell you like, you know, how many piano cleaners are, or tuners are there in New York city? I'm, I can't help you with those questions. Cause I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Those. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, 13 years you've been in this company, it's grown exponentially. I'm just going to list some of the people you've worked with because I saw this on your website and my jaw is just dropping Amazon, Best Buy, Nike, Microsoft, Starbucks. How do you, how do you even get a call with these companies? How do you even, get on their radar. I am an incredibly adept self promoter. <laughs> <laughs> I am um good god, I am awful when it comes to like promoting myself, which means I'm great at it. Um I I'm completely shameless. Um I, the way I feel it is I'm just trying to help people. I'm trying to add value. Um so I don't look at it as like a sales process. I don't look at it as like anything like skeezy or sleazy or anything. I just reach out to people. I will use, um, there's four ways that I look at um, how I grow my business. So one is I, I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of speaking. Um, I do a lot of networking. And then I always am asking for referrals. You know, so like it's a constant process. And so you're looking at, um, you know, 13, 14, you know, a whole lifetime full of people that I work with over the, <laughs> over the years. And so um, they, they, it doesn't come all at once either. So it's just like you keep chipping away at it. And then all of a sudden you have this really great book, like history of people you've worked with. Right. Um, I mean, last year I was fortunate enough to bring, you know, bring in people that I, when I first started out thinking through the business in like a, any kind of um, considered way that I, I for, for the first time last year I was able to get some of those really big names that I said, said if I work with these people I'm going to have totally made it on my on my list and I was able to add them last year so it was great um so I continue to just keep like showing up right adding value speaking writing you know asking people hey, who should I be talking to right and, and and eventually you start getting introductions to these people right it's um because the big thing is is don't get overwhelmed by the name of the business. Mm-hmm. You're still dealing with people. Mm-hmm. And so the, the basics of, you know, adding value, being a good person, um, 
being helpful and useful, it still applies no matter if the person is a solo practitioner like me or works, you know, works for a huge company like Amazon or Nike or Citibank or, you know, even when I did stuff for, um, you know, in elections like President Obama, right? It doesn't matter. It, you know, there's still people, they still have issues and challenges that they need help with. And if you can create value to help those people, then it, you know, you can, you know, you, you can get in, you can do, you can do it. It's not, it's not always easy, but if you're consistent and you're focused and you know how you add value and you know who you create value for, if you're consistent, it doesn't guarantee you that you're going to get all these people, but, or you're going to be able to work with all these people, but it does give you an advantage because most people are, you know, not always going, these are the 10 people I'm trying to reach. These are the 10 businesses that will take my business to the next level. Let me figure out how I can add value to them. You know, so if you do that and you do it consistently, it will be helpful to you. I love that piece of advice right there. Don't be intimidated by the brand name because they're just people. Like, yeah, that's exactly right. It's, um, I often joke about this and, um, hope you, what grade are you going to be going into? 11? Oh, 11. Okay. Um, I, if, so if you cut this part out, if, if, if this, this offends like any future colleges for you, <laughs> I often go like this. Um, I, you know, people go, Oh my God, if you go to Harvard, then it, it must be made. And I go, I've met more dummies from Harvard than I have from any other school. So don't be, impre- don't be intimidated by the, you know, by the, the business name, you know, focus on the people. And that's what I do. And, you know, it's because I, I think when I was younger, I had a, um, might've had a tendency to be a, a little bit intimidated by some of those things. Um, but then having the opportunity to work for Paul Allen and his sister, Jody, um, that helped a lot because then you're able to see the person and it, it takes away a lot of that, um, you know, that fear, that apprehension you know, that anxiety that you might get because you're like, going, well, how can I, who am I to reach out to like a executive at a, you know, a fortune 500 company? Well, I can tell you from my track record that I'm a fairly competent marketer. So they probably, probably are grateful to hear from me if, unless I'm acting like a complete knucklehead. <laughs> so you said that one of the four pillars of, you know, growing your business is mm-hmm. speaking. One of the ways that you've done it. Yep. Tell me about your experience as a keynote speaker. So this speaking thing, this speaking gig has been, uh, it's been incredible because it's allowed me to um, speak all over the world. And I'd say that speaking is one of the most powerful ways to make yourself appear to be an expert in the world because you, you have a chance to capture people's attention. The challenge is that you have to also be respectful of their attention. And that means you can't mail it in. Um, I like to tell the story of the first time I spoke, which was at a, um, a project management thing in DC here. And I was, uh, I had 45 minutes to give a presentation on the, um, early in the evening and my 45 minute presentation that I had laid out took about 22 minutes and I was dripping to sweat by the end of it. Uh, (laughs) so, um, don't be afraid to be, to, to, to learn and learn on the job of speaking because people want the content, they need it. Um, the, the big thing about doing it well though, is you know over time you, you'll create a persona for yourself. So um, when people meet me, they sometimes are think a little, that I'm a, they're surprised that I'm not as like um, over the top as I might be when I host a podcast or when I'm uh, on stage because 
you have to, you, the thing is you have to get people, it's like marketing, you have to get people to pay attention to you. And you don't do that by droning on and on and being dull and boring. So you make sure you can perform the thing, know the stuff. Don't try to tell people too much, right? Tell them just what they need to know. Build a narrative, right? Um, you know, I try to make three or four key points in any like hour long speech I'm making. I try to mix it in with stories and examples that people will use or recognize or, or that are re relatable to people's lives. Like um, last year I had the chance to go to Australia and give two keynotes and one in Sydney, one in Melbourne. Um, the one in Sydney was for uh, the first, the opening keynote at the first time they've ever done this concert. So I was the first person this conference ever heard from, which is can only be uphill from there is what I told <laughs> the people. Um, but I talked about change and I said, look, you know, change is constant, right? You don't need courage to change. Change is going to happen for you no matter what. What you can do though, is you can create um, the conditions that will allow you to, to control change and direct it in a manner that maybe gives you a better chance of success. And I talked about the way that Nick Saban says, right, look, the process is not about like focusing on the 60 minutes at the end of the game. The process is about controlling the things that are right in front of you. It's doing the things you control. And then I talked about Pat Riley and talking about, you know, the only thing that's certain in life is change. And so that like when change raises her beautiful face, you must embrace her. Right. And I use those things. And I talked about, right. The vision that I forgot the guy's name now, but had for, creating this majestic bridge, which is the Sydney Harbor Bridge that spans between the two sides of Sydney and right how that became an iconic thing. And when he was, they were trying to create it, it was crazy. Or like the, you know, um, how much resistance and how much reluctance and how much, how many challenges stood in the way of building the Sydney Opera House, right? And those are all like, because they're sports and they're the Sydney based and they're um, talking about like putting things in context that like are, are are easy for people's lives, people can understand them. And, you know, so use things like that people relate to, to make your point for you, right? Because I can tell you change is coming no matter what, you know, so you just got to be prepared. That's not a very compelling way of putting it. But if I talk to you about like, Hey, look, so when, when Nick Saban, this is how change took place at the university of Alabama. He, Nick Saban, one of the things he focused on was just making people throw their tape and their trash in the garbage can right? Because that was a symbolic of taking responsibility for yourself and not just waiting for somebody else to do the work for you because you're better than somebody else. Everybody every day has to do their job. And it's as little as like putting your dirty laundry in the laundry bag, right? Your, your mom and dad will probably be glad I'm telling you this right now. So put your laundry in the, laundry bag, in the dirty clothes bag, but it's stuff like that. That puts a little bit of a, um, a hook on the, uh, you know, on the story. And so, you know, that, that's, I don't know if that answers any question about public speaking, but it's just like, understand what you're trying to convey and then be able to try to tell it in a way that's like going to hit people in a way that they can understand or in an emotional way. Okay. So change is a, a certainty in life. So mm -hmm. tell me about how you see change in your own industry. How do you think the live entertainment industry is going to change, you know, over the next decade? Over the next decade, the live, the live entertainment business is likely to change a lot um, because change is always happening, right? If we look at 10, the, the difference from 10 years ago to now, it, it's changed a tremendous amount. I think though what we'll see is that there won't necessarily be one dramatic change. It'll just be a, a series of slow changes, right? Um, I don't know how much news or anything you read right now or pay attention to, but one of the things that happens is everybody's talking about this idea of the new normal. 
And what people seem to fail to realize is if you look at history, the new normal looks a lot like the old normal did. So when we're looking at what business is going to look like, it's likely that it will look the, much the same, only different is the way I describe it. But I think what you're going to see is you're going, you're, you will see, um, I hope that the way that sports and entertainment is sold and marketed um, catches up with the rest of the world because um, I, um, podcast episodes, if anybody's curious, you should go back and check Zoe Skamen, who came on about last week, I believe it was. And she talked about how bad the marketing on Broadway is, which, and she's absolutely correct because it's been be being done the same way for 50 years. And it's all waiting for the reviews to come out from the New York Times and the New York Post. And like they pull quotes from the thing and most of it is awful. In a way, most of the marketing and selling of sports and entertainment is being done the way it was, was done 20 or 25 years ago. And it doesn't really do the unique aspect of these things justice, right? It doesn't talk about the experience. It doesn't tell the story as well as it should. It, um, you know, it doesn't reflect how awesome it is to go to a game, right? Um, you know, I, I took my wife and my son to see Chelsea and Tottenham on uh, Thanksgiving uh, weekend about two years ago. And we had no idea, uh, but the, the way that Tottenham tells the story of like the matches and it was the most incredible thing ever. Right. And we felt like we were part of the history and it was just a great experience. That's a little bit lost in, in the way we sell things. Now it's become a lot more transactional. So I hope that that's one, I hope that's a change that we see. Um, I hope that we are able to reintroduce and better introduce elements of storytelling because the story is what, you know, it's, it's a conversation. I feel like, I feel like these things are like a novel, right? There's, um, you know, our, our fandom, you know, yours and mine is just a chapter in a book that hopefully will go on long after we're done. Right. Um, you know, so I hope that that comes back. I hope that um, we do a better job of pricing to get, to make sure it's accessible to people. I hope we do a better job of getting kids involved in sports early on so that we have, a larger funnel of people who have a natural and lifelong love of sports and concerts and going to events and being around people. Um, you know, I hope those things take place. You know, do, are those predictions? I, I hope so. Um, but I don't know if that's, I don't know if I, if I dogged your question or if I just put some, a list of hopes together. Well, no one knows exactly what's going to happen, but I think that that's a pretty good, pretty good guess. Yeah, well, I was going to say most of the people, the, the great thing about making predictions about the future is like when you're wrong, you're like, well, who, nobody knew. <laughs> so, so well, I right, said, oh, like, yeah. I it all along. We're, we're going to, VR, VR is going to be great. And you're going to be able to stand at shortstop, right? <laughs> it's going to be amazing. And if you can't do it, it's because you don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I could just like drop the mic and I've been out. <laughs> so. You gave some great quotes earlier, you know, about change. What, what other, do you have any quotes that stuck out to you throughout your life? Quotes. Um, the one I, I do come back to, right, is the Pat Riley one. Over uh, a long, it was in, it was in October of 1995 was the first time I heard it. And so Pat Riley became, became the head coach and the, president of the Miami Heat in July of 1995. I believe it was like July 5th. Um, it was early July. And they did commercials for Pat Riley because the Heat were awful at the time. They, only, they didn't have any star, like real star players on the team. So Pat Riley was, was the star. And they did these series of commercials. And it was that Pat Riley one. That thing has stuck with me now because that's, 
95. So this is what, 25 years, right? I guess is right. Um, and so Pat Riley was, you know, he's in like a shadow and he goes, change. The only thing that's certain in life is change. But when she rears her beautiful face, you embrace her because change is the only thing that you have. And that stuck with me every day because at the time I would have been 20 years old, 21, something like that. And like, I, I didn't know, right? Because I, I didn't grow up in uh, an environment where I had the opportunity or the inclination or the knowledge to do something like you're doing to explore things. Right. So I, I was making it up as I went along and, you know, and that quote really stuck, it really struck a chord with me that obviously it, because I use it constantly still sticks with me. And um, I think it just highlighted like the power that you have to create your own future and to create opportunities for yourself. And, you know, you know, if, um, if I think about it, that's still what really is like at the heart of what I'm doing is like helping people understand that change is coming no matter what we do. We can't control it, but what we can do is hopefully use the fact that change is coming to create opportunities for ourselves and um, opportunities that will allow us to be, have a better future, to create a better future, um, to do more cool things. And if there is any theme, it's that it's like, you know, just recognizing that nothing stays the same, right? If you, um, you know, another quote would be, uh, I think Howard Zen, it's you can't be neutral on a moving train, uh, you know, and you can't, you have to like keep moving because if you're not moving forward, then you're sliding back because nothing stands still. And, you know, and, and those two things that they really have stuck with me over the years. And it's the only times that I've really struggled in my career or my life is when I've been kind of paralyzed and I have not been, pushing forward. And that's, um, it's something that like, you know, knowing that that was a case in, during the pandemic, it was like, what do I, can I do to help myself make sure that I don't fall into a state of paralysis? Because I know that that is someplace where I will, like, I can fall into and then it, it ends up having bad outcomes for me. And, you know, and it's happened two, you know, two or three times in, you know, in my life. And, you know, being conscious of it has helped a lot. So those two quotes are really, um, they've stuck with me in it because it's all about making sure that you remain proactive and that you can focus on creating the, the circumstances for your success. I really like that Pat Riley quote about, you know, embracing change. I mean, yeah. if you look at the company. I've like, looked for this commercial. I can't find it. <laughs> I, can't, I cannot find it. I mean, if you look at who has embraced change, it's the companies that, you know, we all know Amazon. I mean, the companies that you work with, Amazon, Best Buy, Nike, those are the companies that are embracing change and it's why they're our future, I feel like. Yeah, no, that's right. It's um, it's not easy too, right? I, I mean, I never, um, again, like if you have, if, if anybody's listening to this and they want to listen to any of the podcast episodes, I would tell them to listen to the Zoe scheme. And I think it's the last, like, depending on how quickly this goes up, it was uh, August like 19th or something, it went up. Uh, because Zoe taught, we talked about this process of how do you help people see that you need, you know, change. And, you know, I'm usually like, I'm a little more of a, uh, we had two different approaches to it. Not, neither one's necessarily right or wrong, but her approach was really great. And she was like, let me show you what could happen if you do change. You know, so hers was like about painting a picture of, a brighter future, which I think is probably a little more effective than like going, look, you, here's, here's what's happening to you. You're not recognizing 
if you look at look at how you're where you're at in the market right and and i was like one well, i think if i combine the two it's really really powerful where like look this is where you are but if you do embrace these changes here's where you can get to um you know and change isn't easy it's, it's difficult right it's um you know we're wired to want things to have some stability and some normalcy to them but that's not necessarily the environment we live in right now and so the risky move is to not embrace change is to try to keep things the same because that's where you're likely to get in trouble yeah. 2020 is the perfect example of uh, having to embrace change <laughs> i had uh, some big plans uh, and those have all gone out the door so <laughs> so yeah 2020 should have taught us the lesson that like you you do have um things are very fickle you know and so the only thing you can control are the things you can control because there are environmental changes and you know and by environmental i mean obviously the physical world but like the business world um you know your personal relationships you have all these things that you might not have control over but you can always control the actions you're taking and the things you that you do and so it's you know up to you to do the best you can to control the things you can control all right dave i want to thank you so much for your time thank you for speaking to me of course I love, I love i'm glad to do it i hope that this i hope that people oh my god they'll be like jacob how did you get this guy because like you've had such great people on and then you got dave what's <laughs> <laughs> all right well yeah it was really great talking with you you know i love learning about you know your career and your advice yeah. No, thank you so much. I, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad we were able to hook up like this. Hey, thanks for checking that out. Make sure you visit Zach's website, howtogetajobinsports.com. Uh, check me out. I'm at davewakeman.com. You can follow me on the social media. I'm at David Wakeman on the Twitters. And you can follow connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, if you like what I'm doing with the podcast, if you dig some of the stuff that I'm up to, there's a couple things I'd like to point you towards. First of all, if you like the podcast, please share it with somebody who might benefit from it. Um, if you've already been sharing the podcast, I'd love it if you'd rate it and review and subscribe. Um, we're on all the major podcast platforms the last time I checked, you know, so make sure you do that. All, right? all these things help. They help people find it. Um, the listenership still in the pandemic is strong despite everything. So I appreciate that. I can't thank you nearly enough. Uh, make sure you get check out my newsletter. It is Talking Tickets. It is in my weekly ticketing newspaper that is dedicated specifically to folks in the live entertainment business. You can get it at talkingtickets.substack.com where I will give you five stories, analysis, tips, and action items that you can use to help your business recover from the pandemic. So check that out. Also, I do a weekly strategy email on Sunday. It's called The Business of Value, and you can get that one at businessofvalue.substack.com. So Talking Tickets is talkingtickets.substack.com and Business of Value is businessofvalue.substack.com. They're both free. Uh, they are probably the two most personal things I do each week. So check them out. Um, as always, make sure you check out my friends and partners, Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. That's www.bookingprotect.com forward slash home. Check out the, the blog. Check out some of the eBooks and some of the things we've done. We're working on pulling together some new stuff to share with you um, as the recovery and as the pandemic works its way through our system. Um, we want to be there for you as partners and you know as places that you can find good ideas to help you and your organization recover. 
In that same vein, make sure you check out the We Will Recover initiative, which is at wewillrecover.live. It is an, a project pulled together by Anar Martin and the Activity Stream team that is focused on recovery. Uh, Martin and Anar have pulled together people from all over the world with new ideas, uh, new classes, webinars, uh, anything imaginable, and as much as they can to make sure that folks uh, have the resources, the tools, and the ideas that they need to recover from the pandemic. Um, there's a new series of folks go, uh, with ideas going up this week. Uh, friend of the pod, Aubrey Bergauer, was just on talking about not wasting this crisis and looking at it as an opportunity to rethink your business and focus on the customers and the fans and the subscribers, which is just the most basic marketing 101 thing that we should be doing. Um, but there's so many uh, great ideas up there. So check it out. We will recover live. And as I said at the beginning, I think we are 41 days away from an election right now in the United States. We vote at a lower rate than most westernized industrialized countries. Um, make sure you get out to vote. Make sure you check out, make sure you're registered. Make sure you know the rules and the laws and the procedures to vote either in person or by mail in this year's election. A resource that I have been supporting and trying to help as much as possible is IVotedConcerts.com. Uh, Emily White and her team have done a great job pulling this thing together. It's uh, tons and tons of great artists. Uh, IVotedConcerts.com. The hashtag is IVotedConcerts on Twitter. Check them out. Make sure you voted. Make sure you're registered to vote. If you're not in America, encourage your friends to vote. Make sure people participate. It's the simplest thing you can do to be a part of a democracy. Um, it's like the price of admission. So make sure you get ready to vote. As always, look, I know the pandemic's been hard on people. Send me an email. Let me know what you're up to. It's daviddavewakeman.com. Uh, you know, I want to hear from you. So many of you, so many people listen to the podcast. So many people engage with all the crazy stuff I do. Um, I want to make sure that I'm there to help you, uh, talk to you, um, just be someone that, to listen in case you need it. So send me an email. Let me know how you're doing. DavidDaveWakeman.com. And I will talk to you soon. Okay, take it easy.